Hello there. At last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last we will have revenge. Hello there. Welcome to a podcast about Star Wars Shatterpoint and the Star Wars universe. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I'm joined by my co-host, Amon Kustro. How you doing today, Amon? I'm doing great, Jesse. Thanks for asking. How was your week been? Been really good. A lot of Shatterpoint on the mind. Setting up the next gaming days. You know, just following up with this launch weekend craziness and enjoying the game. It does feel good to be back in a primary box episode, though, today. I'm sure it feels especially good for you considering who we're covering today, but I won't get into that spoiler yet. Well, actually, you've probably clicked on the episode. You know exactly what you're getting into. Well, I feel the pressure for not only myself for all the reasons, but the brand, Ramon, you know, because, you know, we chose to build around these characters from the lore aspect, right? The duality of the force and their relationship. But also we thought, you know, Maul and Obi-Wan are probably going to be around the game a long time and especially different iterations of them in the future. I think that's very likely. So we were just like, yeah, it's Maul and Obi-Wan all day for us. And the fact that we love the characters individually and oppositely, I mean, I, I really do love Maul a lot on the dark side of things just it just fell in place you know so today being our hello there episode quite honestly is very exciting but very intense too well he is a legendary jedi as you said so in the pre-show and so we must have a legendary episode we're gonna do our very best to do that but before we get into the wonderful obi-wan kenobi today in star wars shatterpoint and stars universe well we got some uh interesting exciting stuff to announce to you guys listening at home from amg that's right jesse super exciting we want to give a huge thank you and shout out to atomic mass games for sending us a preview copy of star wars shatterpoint we were actually able to get this before launch day but the way that episodes lined up we weren't able to announce that until now but we're going to actually be doing a giveaway where everyone can sign up all you have to do is click the link in the description below it's a bit link and follow us on twitter and the Twitter is in the description of the podcast episode, and that'll give you one entry into winning a free Shatterpoint Core box. If you would like additional entries, you can also like us on Facebook and follow us on our other social media as well. Again, all of our social media is in the episode description. And of course, Jesse, if you are a patron, you will get an additional entry as well, as long as you click the link and follow us on Twitter. Absolutely. I say at the end of every episode, but you can find us everywhere on social media at hello there cast. So as Amon said, if you want additional entries, that includes things like Twitch and Instagram on top of Twitter and Facebook being our primary pages we're trying to build up to, you know, get the show out to you guys and get all the Shatterpoint information out to you guys when it arrives on those social media pages. So we're very blessed for AMG to give us this opportunity to share with you guys at home. And that's how you enter. And you'll probably hear more about this contest in the coming episodes absolutely and one thing i do want to point out is you interacting with this link will dictate on how much additional support amg will provide us in the future so if you already have a core box just click on it anyways help us out you know y'all have been coming out in droves and giving us those five star reviews and we thank you so much for that and if you could just click on this link that would be amazing because it really really helps us out and helps us create better content in the future and who knows Maybe you can get an extra core box you can give to a friend who's maybe teetering on the edge of joining the force. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to do is we want to get more and more people into this game. And again, all you have to do is click that link. That's right. And the link will be in every episode's 
show notes, but also we will put it on our social media pages so it's easy to find. So if you have any trouble finding the link or anything, just definitely reach out to us and we will get it to you. But of course, Simon, we got some other people to thank. That's right. Hello There is supported by Mr. Laser at mr-laser.square.site. You're a resource for everything Shatterpoint. We've got a ton of pre-orders on the way and Mr. Laser will make sure that you get your products and he's been really good with shipping lately as well. And so you'll get them by launch date as well at your home. So go ahead and give him a checkout. Absolutely. Hello there, supported by our patrons. So our patrons support us at patreon.com slash hello there cast. If you enjoyed the show, consider supporting us and getting access to our private Discord community when you do so. We take this time to thank all of our patrons for their support. Absolutely, Jesse. We love our patrons. And we have three more that we're going to announce today. We have Adam and Sam in the Padawan slash Acolyte level, and of course, Matt, who has joined the Jedi Knight Sith Warrior level. Absolutely wonderful. You guys are keeping us going, and the Discord's growing a lot too, Amon, and you know, a little tease here, you and I are working on some more stuff for the Discord, some hobby-related things, and some TTS-related things that will just be for the patrons in the patron Discord, you know, to build more community, but also to learn some stuff about the game together and experience the game together through different means, notably playing games on TTS and hobbying in different ways. Absolutely. Come hang out with us and enjoy learning about Star Wars Shatterpoint. If you don't have a local community, you can create an online one with us. The Hello There community is a lot of fun. We've got a lot of pictures and updates of cool artwork. That's right. Cool hobbying, people painting their stuff and and it's oh, it's awesome it's super exciting yeah lots of star wars lore talk randomly which is super fun because it always comes up organically on top of like seeing all the hobbying and games and you know soon to be more terrain and stuff for all of us as we're working on training stuff so yeah it's a very exciting place to be and you can get immediate access to that by joining the patreon but of course aman we cannot forget to thank our producers very Absolutely. important people that keep this show going kevin rusty and rich you guys are making the show happen. We love you guys. And Aman, we did find out since last episode, Rich has chosen the light side of the force. So there's two Jedi and one Sith. To be honest, that seems about fair because one dark side user is worth like 10 light side users. You're so. going to say that. And you're going to say that. Yeah, well, Kevin it. is a Sith emperor. So we do got to balance that out. A Sith emperor is, yeah, that's the next level. So, but I think Rusty and Rich can take on the dark side quite easily now, you know, or it can be a battle at least. But, you know, yeah. maybe we'll get balanced, restored to the force again one day. I will be honest. It feels pretty balanced right now. I mean, you said easy. I don't like that. You know, it's right. ultimately unlimited power. Yes. See, now you're getting it. I got it. I got it. But we thank all our patrons for the support. And if you're interested in hearing your name read every episode, check out the producer tier. You also get a lot of one-on-one correspondence with us and future things we have planned for the patrons. All right, Amon, let's get right into today's episode, General Obi-Wan Kenobi. General Kenobi. That's right. And continuing with our box episodes of the past, we're going to do this entire Hello There box. So we're going to talk about General Kenobi, also Commander Cody, and the 212th Attack Battalion. So it's all going to be together today, and we're going to go through their lore in Star Wars canon in the snapshot of time that they are at, and then we're also going to cover them in Star Wars Shatterpoint, how you play them, how you best maximize your fun and competitiveness with them. So starting with General Obi-Wan Kenobi, the primary of the box. Well, Amon, you've already hinted earlier, Obi-Wan Kenobi was a legendary Force-sensitive human male. 
hailing from the planet Stu John. Crazy story, trivia story about this, where he's from, Amon. This is the most George Lucas thing ever. George Lucas was in an interview with John Stewart. John Stewart said, we know where everyone's origin planet is, but we don't know Obi-Wan's of the main primary characters, right? And, and then George just off the fly said, well, he's from Stu John. And John Stewart was just like, all right, I see where this question went. We're going to move on. Everyone's laughing in the crowd, but Disney made it canon. So, there, you know, there you go. Planet Stu John and that planet's been elaborated on more later, but I'm sure John Stewart loves that he had some sort of influence on Obi-Wan's lineage. But Obi-Wan's past is very unknown to us. Um, it used to be in some of the old canon. They had young Jedi apprentice books. Those have thus been removed. But basically, Obi-Wan was a youngling. That's the first time we see him in canon is a youngling being trained under Yoda. And something I find really interesting about Obi-Wan before we get to his Clone War years is none of the masters wanted to take him up as a Padawan until Qui-Gon. But it was one of those things. He was very brash. He was headstrong. This looks sounding very similar to Anakin, right? He was very talented. And he thought outside the box a lot. And so masters would spar with him or talk with him, train with him. And they were just like, yeah, this is too much. This is going to be a project, you know? But Qui-Gon saw Obi-Wan, his fighting and his his mind, and was like, I can work with this, you know? I'm the master for this, you know? Which was actually very true. Because we all know why I love Qui-Gon so much, but I mean, Qui-Gon is someone to think outside of the box and be a great Jedi, right? Questioning the Jedi Council all the while because he's always a man of the people before he is a man of the Republic was Qui-Gon, which is funny because the way Obi-Wan goes later. But so he became Qui-Gon's apprentice, of course, Padawan learner. We know the story in episode one. Obi-Wan's still kind of in this brash mode, but he's, he's, he's matured over the years. Qui-Gon is defeated by Darth Maul. Obi-Wan does defeat Darth Maul. Qui-Gon's dying wishes that Obi-Wan trade Anakin. And Yoda dubs Obi-Wan a Jedi Knight, because I guess, you know, you kill a Sith warrior, you're probably a Jedi Knight now. At least we need to expedite that along. So he didn't get really a formal Jedi Knight ceremony in the traditional Padawan at the temple sense. I mean, it was just like literally, he's with Yoda on Naboo, and Yoda's like, you did the thing, you're a Jedi Knight now, you know. But what happens after that is he obviously becomes Anakin's master. And we've talked about on the show a lot, right? We talked about the Anakin episode. We talked about it off and on in other ways. How Qui-Gon was the father Anakin needed. He didn't get that father figure. And Obi-Wan was kind of like Anakin's sibling, but was trying to be his father figure and his master. So that's the framework of the relationship, which is very complex, right? We talked about it's uh, You said in the last one of the last episodes I'm on, it's like a sibling relationship. But on top of that, it's also like a father-son relationship. You know, it's very complex. Well, Obi-Wan does trade Anakin, and then we eventually get to the Clone Wars. And this is where I think Obi-Wan gets a lot of life, and it's where we get Obi-Wan in this game. He is the general, he's the negotiator. He is infamous. That's He has his own handle in the universe. General Kenobi, the negotiator. Even General Grievous refers to him as such, because him and Cody's tactics are so good in battles, and they do save a lot of lives, and they typically do the most tactical thing to get a battle over with and, you know, it's one of those things where this is the version of Obi-Wan we get in this game today. Yeah, I think great summary, Jesse, on on Obi-Wan. He He's a, honestly, yeah, you're right. He's a legendary Jedi. He's someone who is arguably one of the most important, if not powerful, people in the Star Wars mythos. And it's kind of really interesting because I think Obi-Wan really epitomizes what it means to be a Jedi. Yep. You know, you mentioned that we see him first as a Padawan, but, you know, like most Jedi, he doesn't really have a life. He's indoctrinated into the Jedi ways. That's right. He assumes their values, internalizes them. The only personal attachments that we see him create ever 
are with three people, right? It's just mm-hmm. Qui-Gon, Anakin, and Satine. Yep, Duchess Satine, yeah. And as far as we're aware, you know, he's celibate his whole life. He lives with emotional and material deprivation. And I guess through all that, he really honors the Jedi Code and experiences purpose with the Jedi. But I also feel sad in a way for Obi-Wan because it almost feels like he never had a choice. It's true. And it makes it more compelling, too, that he was always a questioner alongside Qui-Gon. He was questioning this stuff the whole time. It wasn't like he was like, I follow all orders. I do all these things, especially in his Padawan years, right? In his 20s, right? And early 30s. But I'm glad you touched on Satine because I did want to talk about her in this lore. So I mentioned why Obi-Wan's one of my favorite characters in Star Wars in one of our first episodes. So I'll be careful not to tread too much of that same ground if you haven't heard, because you probably heard that episode. But he is one of my favorite characters in Star Wars because... As Amon's alluding to, he is like a kind of the perfect Jedi in a lot of ways um, because of the things that have happened to him and the way he responds. Not so much like he's like the perfect Jedi like on the books, because he certainly is not. He's done a lot of things, some gray areas, but he has lost everything. You know, he is, you know, so when he was a Padawan, he met Satine with a mission with Qui-Gon to defend Mandalore. That's kind of where he fell in love with Satine. But like you said, Amon, he's bound to this honor and duty of the Jedi Order where you can take no partner, you cannot marry. And him and Satine loved each other the whole time, right? You know, spoilers for Clone Wars, but Maul kills her in front of him. He doesn't go to the dark side. He loses his master, his mentor, his father figure. We don't know if Obi-Wan even has a father, right? We know the Padawans are taken at a very young age. So even if you have a mother and father, you're removed from them, which is a whole discussion itself. And he loses his father figure, doesn't go to the dark side. And then he's forced to train Anakin when he's not ready because it was Qui-Gon's wish. Though Qui-Gon was correct in the end, right? All the things Obi-Wan endured, all the things Anakin endured did bring balance to the Force. Without these dominoes in place, we wouldn't have Luke and we wouldn't have Vader's redemption, right? There's a lot of bad things that happen along the way, but he loses Anakin to not only death, which would be horrible, like he lost his father figure and his like his love interest, you know, his romantic partner, but he loses Anakin to something worse. He loses him to the dark side. He becomes a different person. Anakin Skywalker kills the person of Anakin Skywalker and becomes Darth Vader. Still doesn't turn to the dark side. And then, you know, he's very defeated for many years, you know, which we'll get more into our other Obi-Wan discussions in the future, of course, but fulfills his mission of seeing Luke and Leia raised to adulthood and him and Yoda basically never losing hope, though being kind of by themselves for decades and decades in their own failure, right? But they're holding on to hope, that little bit of hope. And through Luke and Leia growing up and surviving, you know, the galaxy's forever changed, right? And he never lost hope during all that, you know, which is a wild thing. So yeah, it's it's pretty amazing despite him going through really hard times. Yeah, I think Obi-Wan might be tied for one of the most tragic characters in Star Wars as well. Mm. In addition to influential, Univerity alluded to some of the loss he's experienced with the loss of his master, the loss of his friend, the loss of his teen. He witnesses the fall of the Republic. Oh, yeah. The whole thing he stood for. Exactly. He's also party to the destruction of the Jedi Order. Yep. Because his attitude and his sympathies are the reason why the Jedi Order fell. Not him specifically, but no. he shared the general sympathies. And, you know, yeah, he defeats Anakin. But, you know, again, because he's one of the few people he has that political, that personal attachment with, isn't able to finish him off. Later finds out Anakin is Darth Vader, and then he also hold that on his conscience as well, right? Forever, yeah. He's like, if I could have just finished the job, all of this wouldn't have happened. As much as I like to give you crap for liking Obi-Wan, and, you know, I think from a pure Star Wars lore perspective, from a consuming perspective, from a content perspective, 
from the perspective of the saga that George has created, there is no Star Wars without Obi-Wan. Right. It's, it's honestly like without Obi-Wan and Vader in particular, we don't have the prequel trilogy or the original trilogy. We just don't. Right. They are like mm-hmm. massive chess pieces in the whole conflict and the whole tragedy that is the tragedy of Darth Vader and the, and the Skywalker saga. Right. But yeah, I think Obi-Wan is probably one of the more rich characters in Star Wars because all this has happened to him and because he never helped, like lost hope and you know, I mean, it's he's one of those amazing characters or it's we haven't even talked about his prowess in combat like we talked about. And I also talked about how much I love how he's this great Jedi in the sense of his mastery of the force, his fighting and the things he holds on to, the Jedi code that he holds on to, the good parts of the Jedi code. But we get on the other side of that. I mentioned his brash, younger Padawan self. That still comes out because he's the type of guy that's sassy in combat. We talked about this against all of his opponents. You see this a lot in Clone Wars, especially in the earlier years of the Clone Wars. And, you know, he takes that all the way to, you know, beating Darth Maul twice, beating General Grievous. There's a lot of things while this is happening. He's also kind of got a uh, lightheartedness about him (laughs) during all this, which is kind of funny because it's not very stoic Jedi. Yeah, I think it's an influence of Qui-Gon to a certain extent. Yeah. Allowing yourself to, you know, follow the Jedi code for sure, but put your own flavor, put your own spin on it. Yeah. His just happens to be that like swashbuckler. Yeah. Heroic style, you know. I love that about him. And I love the fact that he has that witty banter. He's almost kind of like a Spider-Man in a way in which. Nice. Yeah. He'll annoy you just to get under your skin, but he knows that that gives him the advantage in combat as well, which is awesome. And you mentioned his combat prowess earlier. I definitely do think Obi-Wan is like top 10 Star Wars duelist. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, I mean, a Padawan beating a Sith warrior, you know, and once again, we know why Maul loses that fight. It's because he's so overconfident, but it's also because Obi-Wan could actually go toe to toe with him. It's not just because Maul was overconfident, you know, you're seeing some weird expressions for me as you say that. Yeah. And our listeners can't see the video here, but Maul loses that fight. I don't think Obi-Wan wins that fight, but Maul loses that fight twice. Well, maybe more than twice, but I'm talking about the times that the death blows are given, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He... Should never have lost to a, you know, Obi-Wan, Padawan. He should never lost to Ahsoka. But, you know, that's Small's character foil. He's just super confident. He's got to have a weakness, right? And that's his mm-hmm. main weakness. So, yeah. And we'll cover more Obi-Wan in the coming episodes in the future when we do our You Cannot Run Obi-Wan, when we know what he's fully about. And obviously, we'll do that section of lore, which is a even darker time of Obi-Wan's life and kind of like what he looks like in the game. But... Also, I'll get more to Obi-Wan in a second when we get to Cody because there's some pretty cool stuff there. But Amon, we got to talk about Obi-Wan's card in Star Wars Shatterpoint. What's he look like in the game? His play style? I'm, I'm hyped for it. I'm hyped as well. So we have, without further ado, General Obi-Wan Kenobi with the tags 212th Force User, Galactic Republic, and Jedi. He's got a durability of 3 and a stamina of 10. What do you think about that, Jesse? One less stamina than Anakin, but netting out to three less stamina overall, because we know Anakin's at the 33 total, how the game works with durability. And Obi-Wan's at 30 total, very high for a primary, uh, some of the highest we've seen in the game yet. I mean, 11 being the highest, it's right behind it. And what I really like is the eight squad points. And I also like him on the way AMG is approaching this game, which just gets me excited for future episodes future discussions, the name of the character and the tags are really showing what version of the character this is and that we could get other versions of the character. It does not have this name, is not General Kenobi, the negotiator with the 212th tag, for instance. It's Kenobi in a different time in his life or something, right? And I think these tags are super interesting. 
Yeah, I think they're great. And I think you're certainly correct in that it specifically highlights what aspect of Obi-Wan we're seeing in this particular snapshot, but also how AMG has intended for him to be played, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That clone commander, that general on the ground. That's right. So you mentioned his eight squad points. He's also got a force of three, which that did surprise me a little bit. I understand why he's not four, but I do feel like Obi-Wan is very powerful in the force. Definitely a balance thing, right? Because they wanted him to be eight squad points, I assume, and be able to do what he can do on his card. So I think the force is the biggest loss compared to everything else. Like that was the balancing act. It is the balancing act. And there's a reason why he's not at 11 health as well. And we're going to see all of that in a moment based on his identity. But let's start with his first active ability called Hello There. Hello There. It is an active ability, costs one force. One character in this unit may jump. If it does, that character adds three dice to its next attack roll during this activation. Best version of jump in the game thus far. Yeah, definitely so. I want to stress, because I've been playing a lot of Obi-Wan, spoilers, that, you know, jump is just incredible in general, right? So the three dice to his next attack is just a bonus. It's not necessarily what you're trying to go for. What you're trying to go for is just jumping and positioning around the board because Shatterpoint is all about positioning. But then you get this cool icing on the cake, which is a bunch of dice, which is really, really impactful with one of his forms we're going to cover later and kind of needed with one of his forms we're going to cover later. But I just find it super cool. And obviously, I'm on, got to love the theme. This is literally exactly what he did to Grievous and the Magna Guards. Just jumped right in the middle of all of them. Yeah. And with that swashbuckler bravado, he'd guess give him the ability to roll more dice, which I've played some games, man, and Obi-Wan can dish out a ton of damage. Just takes him some setup to get there, which is absolutely incredible. But moving on, he has a reactive ability called So Uncivilized. It's, of course, on our outro bumper. This was unplanned. I had no insider information to know this stuff. Iconic lines from Obi-Wan, though, right? Also costs one force. So we're seeing a theme. His stuff costs force, you know? When a character in this unit is targeted by a ranged attack, this unit may use this ability. This unit gains hunker. After the effect is resolved, if the attack roll contain one or more failure results, the attacking enemy suffers three damage. Right. So this is an improved version of deflect pretty much. Yeah. I talked about him not having deflect in an early episode, and I was more referring to the sense of he doesn't have the baked in just like free damage all the time with no economy, right? So this is obviously a much better deflect because it's a hunker and one more damage, but it is draining your force pool as a whole. Correct. That is true, but it's worth it because you get hunker, right? 100%. And also the damage that he's doing is three damage versus deflect is just two. Yeah. So we're going to get an improved jump with hello there. We're getting an improved deflect with so uncivilized, Mm -hmm. obviously both causing a force. The important thing about hunker that I think we should all take into account is because of the rules update with AMG, hunker is incredible because it gives you cover. So essentially, Obi-Wan gets plus one defense dice and deals you three damage. Nice. Well, and the the fact that cover is harder to get now, right, is what you're talking about, Amon, where it's like you can't get it without the hunkers. So always having it set up to get cover, right, is good. Because, you know, you carry hunkers with you, you know, unlike other minis games, you know, tokens and things. But I don't know. I I find it very cool. And I love that you just don't really want to attack him. You're unincentivized to. It's very uncivilized if you do. I think the coolest part, Amon, of you said getting the hunker is you're getting hunker without taking an action outside of your activation. So you're you're netting actions in a way because you, spoiler alert, you want to hunker with Obi-Wan. But if you're doing it without taking actions, 
but you're spinning force, it, it, it's a cool like net gain. And blasters are very uncivilized. Obi-Wan says it in the original trilogy, and he says it in the prequel trilogy. So don't shoot him with an uncivilized weapon. Yeah, well, sometimes, you know, you don't really have a choice. <laughs> That's right. That's how he killed Grievous is with the blaster. He didn't enjoy it, but he had to do it. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Speaking of his abilities, though, we have an innate ability called Patience. When you reveal this unit's order card, if you have an order card in reserve, you may put that card on the top or bottom of your order deck. If you do, put this unit's order card in reserve. When this unit's order card is put in reserve, one character in this unit may recover, 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 and jump. It's a lot. It's a lot of things that happen. So, Amon, tell me the best way to set this up, because, you know, you do have to have someone in reserve before everyone comes up, and you got to be thinking about that, right? It's really interesting because it offers you multiple options, right? If you draw Obi one first. Well, just throw them in reserve. You don't get some of those bonuses, but it's fine because you probably don't want to activate with a primary that early on in most instances. But what it incentivizes you to do is if you draw a unit, which you don't necessarily have to activate yet, then you can just throw that unit into reserve. Sure, it's going to cost you a force, but then what that allows you to do is if your Obi-Wan is in a precarious position or is near wounded allies or is just really far away from where the conflict is happening, then Essentially, what you're doing is you're paying that force to when you draw Obi-Wan, you throw him in that reserve spot. He's able to heal people around him, remove conditions around him or on himself. Then he gets that jump, right? So it allows him to engage faster if and when you eventually do activate Obi-Wan. And I think one of the parts that I think people kind of gloss over very quickly is the fact that card that you originally did have in reserve, you can put that on the top or the bottom of the current order deck. Right. So then you can kind of control your next activation as well, which is pretty exciting, is you can just swap them. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's super funny that like, not saying this is a strong list, but you could run Obi-Wan with droids and you could do a lot of deck manipulation, right? You said a really notable part of this, which I think is worth it maybe alone, is just the getting a jump and getting further up the board because Obi-Wan is a little bit less mobile than some of the other characters in the game. In my experience, he has a harder time pivoting. Like when the struggle changes, he's got to get somewhere else on the map and kind of dig in. It takes him some time to get over there. So obviously between this and hello there and it's standard advanced action, it can pivot pretty well, but you've got to set that up. And also I'm glad you mentioned Amon because we're all new at this game. We're all learning the minutia of how powerful things like conditions are. I love that you mentioned with the three recovers, one, two, three in a row, you can also do that to allies. You know, don't always think you just have to do it on this character when you do a recover. It's anyone in range, that range two band, that melee range essentially. Yeah. Absolutely. And again, I think this could be also used defensively, right? Like, let's say you're in a situation where Obi-Wan is maybe going to lose a combat or you don't want him to be attacked by a primary, let's say Maul in this example, who has taken a lot of wounds. You can use patience to get Obi-Wan out of danger. He can jump away. And then when you decide to use Obi-Wan, whatever that timing is in your game plan, then you can jump back in with hello there and swing a lot harder. We're learning very quickly power powerful jumps are. I mean, getting out of engaged combat is just great in itself, right? I mean, as you're mentioning him on, he wants to sustain as long as possible. And we'll cover that in his tree in a moment. But sometimes he could get spiked and that's bad, right? So he's got to escape and kind of recover and then come back in. Maybe very healthy again. But closing out his card, he has the identity of knowledge and defense, the way of the Jedi. Allied units do not lose their hunker when they become engaged and can gain and have hunker while they're engaged. So let's just cover this first part of mine before we move on. So normally in the game, when you're engaged, all your hunkers are stripped off the model that was engaged, right? 
Right. So not only are your hunkers not stripped away, which is very good for rain shots coming at you from a distance, but you can still take the hunker action when you're engaged to further give you defensive benefits. But it continues. While an allied Galactic Republic unit has one or more hunker tokens, it adds one die to its defense rolls against ranged attacks. Just one die. So if you have a bunch of hunkers, if you have one hunker, like three, it's just one die. But also amazing because you're breaking a game state of you don't normally get any benefit from hunker and melee. So you just get better defenses on melee. And after an attack targeting a character in an allied Galactic Republic unit is resolved, that character's unit may remove all of its hunker tokens. If it does, one character in that unit may recover one time for each hunker removed. Then each character that recovered may dash. There's a lot going on here, Amon. A lot. There's a ton going on. And if it was, if his identity was just that first sentence, it would be worth it. Allied units do not lose their hunker when they become engaged, and they can gain hunker while they're engaged. That alone is an incredible identity ability, and it works and synergizes so well with not only what Obi-Wan is trying to do, but also the 212. It's incredible. And then, of course, adding the dice to its defense rolls against melee attacks is also incredible, right? Like, obviously, Hunker is beneficial at range. You duck behind a box or whatever. But now, similar as Obi-Wan probably fights as he watched in the Clone Wars, he uses the terrain and his surroundings to advantage. He uses that knowledge. He uses that defense. And he's imparting that strategy and those tactics to his team, which, again, is incredible. And then this last part here, sure, you can move all of your Hunker if you want. Mm -hmm. And then you can recover for each of those Hunkers removed. And then... Each character that recovered can then dash. I mean, the mobility that he offers is incredible. And again, there's a lot of synergy here. If you go with Obi-Wan early, what you can do is you can burn your um, hunkers on your team, like your clones, let's say you're 212, right. and then they can heal and dash. And then back when they activate again, they can defensive maneuver, which we'll get into in a little bit. <laughs> and then from there, what we're seeing is they're just right back to getting that hunker, right back to getting those extra defense dice, not only at range, but in melee. There's going to be a lot of instances where you're playing against an Obi-Wan team or with an Obi-Wan team, and your guys are very hard to take down because they're rolling so much defense. It's a lot of defense. And I think an interesting part about this last effect, which you said might be like the least impactful, but it's still very cool, the remove hunkers to recover for each hunker removed. You can do this, well, like, you know the clones are going to come back up again, and you lose all your hunkers at the start of your next activation when you draw a character. You just do this. Sort of strip them off, heal yourself, because you know you're about to come up in the deck again, and you're going to lose your hunkers anyways. So it's a way just to kind of, like, maximize your resources to the very last minute, you know? Like, hang on to the hunkers until you know they're coming back up, and then and then you're like, okay, you attack me, I'll heal now. And then, oh, I draw them from the deck, you know? So it's an interesting way to approach it. It's actually incredibly powerful again because of the new rules changes that amg have implemented on launch day weekend right where you can't benefit from cover unless you have hunker well it's great because again you just hunker boom you're good you have cover and then you're eligible for even more cover through again some of the abilities like defensive maneuver that the 212th and cody can do then of course like they're clones they're ranged combatants they don't want to be too deep into combat so then what you're able to do is, again, benefit from cover again. At that point, you're stacking Hunker, you're in cover, and there are going to be instances in this game where, like, you're shooting a 212th unit or Commander Cody, and they have, like, three, four Hunker on them. And it's like, okay, and they're in cover, so they're rolling how many additional dice? You know, three, four, five additional dice to their defense, and they're already rolling, you know, four or three, depending on the melee or ranged attack that's targeting them. It's it's incredible, honestly. And so lots of great synergies here. And this kind of ties into exactly how you want Obi-Wan to play. He's the general, right? So he's this force multiplier. He's going to focus 
on improving his team, improving the survivability of his clones. This is very true to the lore in terms of the Clone Wars and even the movies where Obi-Wan cares about his clones. He protects them, he develops individual relationships with them, and he hates to see that unnecessary loss of life. So again, in this example, he's being true to his lore, protecting his clones, being that force augmentation unit. But at the end of the day, like when Obi-Wan needs to get down and dirty and needs to fight, he's able to do that with Hello There, you know, and then deal that defensive damage backed via Uncivilized. So big fan of Obi-Wan overall. Lots of cool ways you can play him. I think he offers players a lot of options when playing Shatterpoint. I think you touched on something really good to him on in that discussion where it's you mentioned the clones and how much he helps them because clones have low health pulls and they have bad melee defense in particular. They just melt when models get in melee with them. So innately, he's given them a static buff as a whole across your two squads, just making them more survivable, essentially. He's he's kind of like giving them more stamina that's not written on their card, right? So it's very interesting. And you know, you said we're about to get to the take cover in a minute, which we are, <laughs> but clones already want to dash and hunker a lot, right? So the fact that he's force multiplying that aspect of their play style seems pretty great. And he seems like a Republic clone staple. Yeah, for sure. I think there's a lot of great synergies in any Galactic Republic list at the moment. And I think right now, if you're going to play Galactic Republic, one of your primaries pretty much has to be Obi-Wan because the amount that he offers is just incredible. Absolutely. But speaking of how cool he is and how different some of his playstyles are, Mon, we got to get to his forms because they are very different and very cool. Yeah. Let's start with Seresu. So Seresu is a, is a stance for Obi-Wan. He has five defense at range, six defense in melee, and he can roll five attack in melee. Those numbers are kind of low to start for a primary. They are low. And you did allude to this earlier with Hello There, mm-hmm. being able to bump that up to eight. And I think this is the more, this is the form where Obi-Wan is just being that commander. He's being that augmentation. He's not necessarily trying to be that hammer that he has to be every once in a while. And this allows him to like recover, jump around, heal. There's a lot of cool stuff here. Now, again, we mentioned Obi-Wan is one of the top duelists of his age. And so his expertise on his lightsaber is quite potent. One to two, he gets a crit. Three, he gets two crits. And four plus, he gets three crits, which is pretty incredible because when Obi-Wan hits you, it means business. It is very cool because the hammer is in the expertise on this, right? It is. And then on top of that, like before getting too deep into his damage tree, like you're only really able to get four successes on this tree. And so if you just have that weird roll that sometimes happened where you just spike on the expertise rather than the damage, you're still able to get mostly through his tree, right? And hopefully it allows you to kind of complete the tree, which is what I really like about the stance is more often than not, you're probably going to complete the tree when you hello there. Now going to his defensive expertise, clone armor, one to two, two blocks, three plus, you're going to get two blocks and that classic Obi-Wan jump. I like it a lot. This form is getting him into the action if he wants it in some ways, you know. I think you mentioned it like just now where you said he's kind of in the middle of it with his troops, right? And that jump can help you do that too, can help you reposition, get by them, help them recover a lot. Dude, exactly. And so speaking of recover, we'll start with the first spot on the tree here. It's a recover and two damage. So again, Obi-Wan is able to dish out that damage, blending that offense and defense quite well. Now from there, you really have two paths. Let's just go up because it's a simpler path. You're going to place a strain and do two damage. Then you can recover twice, and then you complete the tree by jumping and doing two damage. So in total, if you complete that path, there's six damage, three recovers, a jump, and a strain. So cool. 
it's so different from what we've covered on the show thus far. You know, this tree, before we get into it, just a lot of nice peppering of damage, a lot of healing, and some conditions and mobility. Yeah, for sure. And I think, again, this kind of makes you really think about how you want to play Obi-Wan in this moment, right? Like, if you're going to be in form three Cereso, again, you're in an environment where you're probably surrounded by allied units. You're probably contesting a hotly contested objective. And while you do give up a little bit of defense at the range side of things when compared to Ataru, which we'll get into in a moment, the idea here is that when Obi-Wan is activating, he should be able to heal himself or remove conditions off himself quite consistently and reliably, or at least the same with his nearby allied units. Yeah, and I like to, Mon, that the tree ends on that top path with the jump, like you mentioned, and the two damage. And that stacks with, you talked about in his defensive side of if he got far down the expertise track, expertise amounts, he's getting a jump as well. So there's a lot of like jumping offensively and defensively when you need it. He loves the high ground. He does. And also if you push him and he just jumps back or, you know, jumps into range or jumps over people, there's a lot of stuff going on, right? Yeah. He can be quite sticky. And so let's go to the next path on this Soresu stance card. So then what you're going to get is instead of the strain as your second landing point in here, you're going to get a pinned and two damage. So very similar. At that point, you're just picking your condition of choice. And then from there, we have two paths. If we continue down the straight path, you get three recovers, okay? And then you get a shove and two damage. So if you want to do that, again, six damage, three recovers, a pin and a shove. Pretty good. I'm not mad about it. If you commit to this middle path, I mean, that's four recovers if you made all the way through, right? And I like that you're kind of like, you're losing the jump, which obviously is the most powerful part of the top path, but you're gaining another recover, right? And you're putting out two conditions. So I think it's really cool. Yeah. But this last tree right here is probably my favorite, and I'll tell you why. Yep. So you start with the recover and the two damage. You have to go to the pin, but it branches from the pin. So instead of going for three recover, what you can instead do is go for a disarm and two damage, and then you're going to get a reposition and a damage as your final tree. So in this one, you actually are able to do the most damage with seven damage. But what I like this one a lot is this is Obi-Wan doing his thing. He's going to lock down an enemy unit. He's going to pin them and disarm them. And then what he's going to do is he's going to get out of there if he wants to. Reposition to wherever he wants while dealing seven damage. Yeah, I feel like we haven't talked about reposition since our news episode I'm on. But I'm learning the more I play the game actually on the table in person how incredibly powerful reposition is. It breaks a lot of game state. It's kind of like wall crawler in MCP or something where it's just like unhindered movement outside of your activation often, you know, on like when you do all these trees and stuff, it's during your activation, but it's it's on action you're taking to advance and stuff. And I don't know, I have you had experiences with reposition doing a lot for you in games? Oh yeah, it's incredible, right? You get a free advance. Yeah. You know, it's not just a dash like most things allow you to do. So it's uh, it's incredible what you can really do is you can shatter point with Obi-Wan in Seresu form. Okay. If you get the successes you need, you can get that advance. And then when you eventually do activate Obi-Wan, you get another advance, right? So you're literally wherever you want to be on the board at this point. And then you can swap to Ataru, which is probably a good segue to talk about Ataru. And then from there, do whatever it is you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned Ataru. I'll just go through the stats real quick. There is no ranged offense, but there is a ranged defense of six. On his melee profile, he has a attack of seven and a defense of six. So, you know, higher attack on the Simon and higher defense on the range side, but same defense on the melee, both forms. Yeah, it's interesting. The way that I view this is this is Obi-Wan, the combatant, the duelist, the Jedi, 
do whatever it needs to do. He's got the two fingers sticking out, pointing at you. No, this is on the side. That's what this one is. Oh, is this, this the side is the one? Side. Yeah. Yeah. This is what he learned from Qui-Gon. This is the two-handed there we go. duelist. Really good at deflecting. Really good at the one-on-one combat, you know, while Suresu is more of the um, offense followed by defense. Offense followed by defense. You know, Tar is a little bit mm. more just defensive in general. Yeah, which is very cool because there's a lot of damage on this tree coming up. But it's always like damage after you've done something, like done a parry or something, you know, which is I'm seeing Qui-Gon in this tree. I love it. I love Qui-Gon. He's one of my favorite characters. And so the Atari he's Master. rocking the Qui-Gon stance. That's right. Let's get these expertise, Simon. All right. So let's start with his lightsaber expertise. Now, unlike Suresu, which is just crits galore over here, yeah. <laughs> where our first expertise is just only going to garner one strike or one hit. But as we improve upon the tree... Or in t- rather, as we improve upon the number of expertise, we're going to see that jump up a little bit. Two to three, a crit and a strike, four plus, which is actually pretty incredible. You actually get two crits and two regular hits, which I think is one of the best four plus expertises we've seen so far. That's really cool. Yeah, it's, I mean, you're turning four die results to four positive things, right? I mean, it's interesting because the Suresu has the three crits, you know, which is also just scary, but there's just more raw, like raw stuff coming at them, right? To block. Yeah, 100%. It's, again, he's that combatant. He's mm-hmm. being that beat stick here. Now, defensively, I think he does get some benefits as well. Now, again, Seresu just gives him straight blocks. What Ataru is doing is, again, he's showing you that he's that combatant. So you get that one block and then you turn a crit into a fail. And then at three expertise, you're getting two blocks and turning a crit into a fail. So this is more reminiscent of the Jedi like Anakin and what Ahsoka they can do. And so he's quite in theme there. I love these Jedi's like one to two results on their expertise defense. It's just so cool. It's usually something very effective. Well, yeah, A, they're primaries, right? So their expertise need to be good. But B, it's very in theme. Jedi are experts. Absolutely. And I do like the juxtaposition amount of the amount of the Suresu, the two blocks and a jump for three up. And this side's two blocks and turning a crit to a fail on the three up. So this one's more defensive overall, but you're giving up that jump. Yeah. And, you know, if you're trying to keep Obi-Wan alive, which is probably why you're in the Ataru form, yep. it's because you're in combat and you need to take someone out before they put the damage on you. That's a great thing to have is to turn those crits into fail absolutely you're not even turning crits into hits you're just saying that doesn't even matter yeah you're saying like that dice is ruined yeah and defensively it's awesome because like all the other jedi is when you turn that hit into a fail then you can so uncivilized and just ping them for three damage at range right right that's really cool it's awesome now this is a little bit of a more interesting tree i think more complicated one but we'll start with the landing spot or the starting tile which is a shove and two damage so off the jump Mm. obi-wan means business i love characters that have a shove in the first spot come on yeah it's effective that's how you win the game honestly it is quite effective (laughs) now we're going to start at the top tree here which is really interesting we're just going to go up and we're going to do one damage but then from there we're going to get another shove in a damage then we're going to get a pinned in damage and then we're going to get another shove in a damage so if you have a really hot attack roll and you really want to just push city we talked about push city a couple times then this is going to give you three shoves and also seven damage yep which is really effective. Three shoves is just crazy. Yeah. You can just remove it someone from a fight entirely. Yeah, it's, it's quite punishing, actually. Obviously, it's rare to get the whole tree, but I don't know. When you're throwing 10 dice in conjunction with hello there. I mean, I did it quite a bit over the weekend, and I'm sure you did too. <laughs> That's right. The hello there helps for sure. Yeah. So if we go now the other path, the other side, if we go down from the starting spot, which is a shove and two damage, we're going to get to a disarm and a damage, which is pretty good. Then from there, we're going to get to a exposed and two damage. So two conditions, 
and five damage. Ooh. And then it's, yeah, it's, it's solid. And then from there, you're either able to jump back into that shove train, which we talked about earlier. So essentially you're getting that shove and damage, pin and damage, and shove and two damage. So you're still getting three shoves this way. It's just adding an extra step. So really, what I really like about this is if you get five successes, you can still get three shoves. If you get six successes, you can also get three shoves, but you're also disarming and exposing along the way and also dealing more damage. In this particular instance, you would do two, four, six, seven, eight, nine damage. The interesting part of going, starting at the start point, like you mentioned, going down and then going all the way down that shove line down the middle, you can have six positive results. So I feel like that's going to be more rare, Amon. Like this sort of like start in the middle, go down, then go across. It's a very wild tree how it's like five results on top or bottom, but then six if you go mid. But you got to go a certain way if you go through the mid. Yeah. And again, like what it really allows you to do is it's not hurting you for just only getting five successes, yep. which five successes is quite a bit, right? But if Obi-Wan is in that zone and he's able to flourish a little bit, then he can just do a little bit more pizzazz, punish you a little bit more with those conditions, but then ultimately still push City. Nice. Now, if we get to that third tile again, which is that expose and two damage, from there you can go on a bottom tree. And I, I know this might be a little hard to follow, yeah. but there's a lot going on here. So we do recommend you pull up the card as you listen. Is This is where, again, if you really want to jump with Obi-Wan, you can go to two damage and then damage and a jump. So again, you're still doing you know respectable damage here. You're doing eight and then you get to yeet yourself wherever you want to go. So he has nine, eight, and seven damage, depending on which direction you go, right? Mm-hmm. And there's some things that make it harder to get to those ways. But I do, I really do like this bottom tree, Amon, where it's like two conditions and a shove, eight damage, and a jump. It's kind of an aggressive path. It is an aggressive path. But what I really like about this is this allows you to be really flexible with Obi-Wan. Yeah. You know, like, do I want to just deal damage and shove you? Great. I'm able to slam three conditions on you, deal one more damage, and still shove you away into the ether. That's awesome. But then also, like, if I'm in a situation where, like, hmm, maybe I need to just get out of here. Maybe I can just take that bottom path and jump away. So I like it. I right, I really like it, man. I think he's got one of the most flexible trees we've seen on both sides, but on Atara specifically, I just really like the options he gives you. Absolutely. And let's also not forget, too, in Shatterpoint, that you can switch your form anytime during your activation. So you can do a lot of that Seresu swashbuckling, jumping around, mobility, play style, and then just swap to Ataru at the end of your activation and be ready defensively for what's coming your way, right? And then maybe you can start that in Ataru, like you mentioned, when you're kind of more one-on-one with someone now and you start in Ataru and, you know, I, I just love that you can like swap back and forth between forms if you do it right, but you got to do it at the right time. Both of his forms have a lot of versatility and power when used in the right situations. And that leads to our final part of this Obi-Wan card discussion, Amon, is how are we going to play Obi-Wan on the table, especially now that we know his trees are so impactful to his playstyle? Because I did mention on his front side, he's not hyper-mobile on his front side, but obviously that changes dramatically when you're in Seresu form, things like that, right? So how are we going to play him on the table, especially with these forms in mind? Yeah, so looking at his card as a whole, I think you definitely don't want to activate Obi-Wan early on. Right. So, you know, sometimes we are all victims of the Order deck, and so if you're in a situation where you pull them too early, you know what? You might not get patience, but I think you should just still throw them into reserve because Obi-Wan is going to be one of those characters where you really have to think about when you activate him because when he goes, he's going to do something and you really need to make sure he does exactly what you want him to do. I think you're always going to want to be using hello there whenever you have the opportunity to do so because again, that jump is gives him so much more maneuverability than he has at base level. 
And then, of course, you know, five dice in Seresu isn't a lot. Eight is great. Yeah. Seven is awesome on Ataru. Ten is insane, hmm. right? You're hitting very hard. And again, depending on what you want to do with Obi-Wan, you have the option to do so, right? So I want to be more of that force augmentation. I want to heal. I kind of just want to be really persistent, stick in an area. And when I hit you, my sole purpose necessarily is to kill you or to push you very far away. It's just to make sure I don't go down because I'm able to recover and slap so many conditions on Uvs Eraso. With Ataru, that's when you get that beat stick Obi-Wan. And, you know, I've experienced this myself where I just jump somewhere with Obi-Wan and then I just slap the bejesus out of somebody and they go down. And then I win that point. Because of hello there. Because of hello there. You get that jump, that mobility. And I think, again, knowledge and defense is so, so important because completely changes the way how you play with your teams. Not only does it benefit his team, but it benefits all allies that are in general. So like if you want to play with like a mall side faction or some units that aren't Galactic Republic, that's fine. They still don't lose their hunker. But then of course, if they're Galactic Republic, then they get those benefits, right? That they can add dices to their defense rolls against melee attacks. So you want him alive because he fundamentally changes the way that you're playing the game. You can be more risky. You can be more aggressive with your units because at one point, you know, as I mentioned in the last episode, I attacked my opponent and my opponent had eight dice on defense on a clone trooper. That's insane. Why, why should I even try that, right? At that point. Especially with how much more consistent the defense dice are, like you mentioned them on with those D6s. That's a lot of raw dice with those D6s, which are a little bit more consistent with the results. Yeah, I mean, 66% of the time you're getting an expertise or a block. And for our Obi-Wan, that expertise is great because it gives him more blocks. Absolutely. I think you're touching on, I think, one of the most interesting parts of Obi-Wan's kit and something we talked about with Anakin. You build your strike teams and squad as a whole around kind of Obi-Wan. And what I mean by that is, you know, Obi-Wan and Anakin, especially Obi-Wan, he's a team player, man. He's the general, right? He's not very, he's not selfish at all. In fact, you're taking him to augment your entire force with this identity, right? And we've already gone through several characters in this game, you know, like Maul, Asajj are great examples. They got great benefits on their identities, but you don't build your entire list around those identities, right? Those identities augment Maul and Ventress, right? So I already find it so compelling that we're already seeing the differences in building your groups, right? And Obi-Wan is probably one of the most stark representations of this thus far in the game, where it's just like, everyone's buffed defensively, Hunker is better for you. And he augments clones in a huge way. Yeah, I mean, he even makes other primaries stronger. Like you mentioned Anakin, like Anakin gets to keep his hunker tokens too, right? So if your first activation with Anakin in game is advance and take cover. Yep. Well, now he's got that hunker token. He's not going to lose it in melee. So that means Anakin's harder to kill too over the course of the game. So I think Obi-Wan is, you know, we talk a lot about Dooku being, I think, in our opinion, the number one primary out there. But I think Obi-Wan is a very, very close second, if not arguably even better than Dooku in some instances. We'll talk more about Obi-Wan, how he works as a whole in this box shortly, but we got to get into Cody CC2224. That's Commander Cody, who was a male clone Marshal Commander in the Grand Army of the Republic. What's really interesting, Amon, is, you know, this is getting super detail-oriented with the lore, but he commanded the 7th Sky Corps, and there was a subunit of the Sky Corps called the 212th Attack Battalion during the Clone Wars. Now, Cody is similar to Rex and different from Rex, right? We've we covered Rex recently. We talked about Rex's core. He's a questioner, you know? He's he's a great commander and captain because he's always like, is this the right thing to do for my men, right? Cody is a little bit more by the book, but at the same time, where they differ is 
when it comes to combat, Rex will actually take more risks and Cody will take less risks, right? So you've already got this interesting, like, Cody's more like by the book, he's more military. And of course, it's it lines up with their Jedi commanders quite well too, right? General Anakin Skywalker with Rex and of course, General Obi-Wan Kenobi with Cody. But Cody and Obi-Wan get really well known during the Clone Wars because they are so tactical and they do make decisions that actually save the most lives in battles. And they they effectively want to win battles through the best probability, like no risks, you know, and Cody's really known at that. But on top of that, Cody becomes this career military man and it continues into the Empire years because he is so by the book. So it's like his... It's like again, it's like working for him and against him, and I would say it works against him later on because he's part of the Empire, you know. And the Empire is very by the book and very like you follow orders at all times, you question nothing. So yeah, it's one of these things where we actually see Cody, Cody and Rex have a really strong bond, and obviously, just like Anakin and Rex have a really strong bond, Obi Wan and Cody have a very strong bond, which actually makes the Revenge of the Sith Order sixty six route that we eventually go with Cody even more tragic because everyone did lose one of his best friends as well. It's no shock that AMG is doing the two best tactical clones, most well-known clones in the entire galactic arm, like army of the Republic out the gate. I'm on. I think it makes a lot of sense. It's not just because Anakin and Obi-Wan are there with them. It's because these guys are known the best of the best and really helped win the war in a lot of ways. Right? Yeah, completely agree. I mean, I think Obviously, Commander Cody is the more by-the-book version, as you say, but one thing that Cody really does is he really, really, really does everything he can to save the lives of his fellow yep. clones. A lot of other commanders, and even clone commanders, are kind of use their troops expendably, but Cody never did that. And even when he does work for the Empire, and he's on those like strike teams, he works with Crosshair at one That's point. Right. And he, in that same vein, when he's leading that mission, he's making sure that everybody is alive, they're taken care of. When a clone goes down, you can see that it pains him. You can hear it in his voice. Mm-hmm. And so I really like that about him. While it's very similar to Anakin and Obi-Wan, that dichotomy, right? Where Captain Rex is that cavalier attitude, leads from the front, whereas Commander Cody is more like, how do we save lives? How do we do about this the right manner? How do we reduce enemy and civilian casualties as well as friendlies to do what it is we need to do? And Unfortunately, when Order 66 happens, right, like he doesn't even blink, he doesn't even think twice. Of course, as we all know now, they had inhibitor chips in their head, but, you know, it just kind of sucks that he didn't even question it, whereas Rex was a little bit. Also, how shocking is it that Cody's like, yes, my lord, as in like in that chip or somewhere in his brain all along, he might have known Palpatine was really in control, you know, these poor clones have been doomed from the start. But yeah, getting back to your point of Cody saving lives that we both touched on, a huge, awesome part of his character Sometimes to the frustration of the Jedi, including Kenobi, Cody will do this, Amon. So instead of like ending a battle in a week, Cody would make it like a six-week battle where he's just shelling the CIS strongholds from range. No one has any chance of being hurt, right? Just wearing them down before he actually goes in. Obviously, this frustrates Rex, Anakin, and even Kenobi sometimes where they're just like, let's just get this battle over with, be done with it. And Cody's like, no, no, no. Like I've done the math. If we do three weeks of a siege and then we go in, the chances of losing anybody is like incredibly low. So in a way, he actually used a lot of the Republic's resources to the fullest extent. Like he really drained some money out of them. But in doing so, he saved a lot of lives of people of those planets and his fellow clones and Jedi. Yeah. He may not have been efficient in terms of the war effort, but he was efficient in terms of like being a good person, right? Like everything around him was 
I guess the least casualties, the least destruction possible. Yeah, absolutely. And he's super high ranking in the entire army. Like he's one of the highest ranked primary named clones we see in the canon, which is also very cool. So let's get into Cody and Star Wars Shatterpoint. That, of course, is General Kenobi's right hand man on the battlefield. Let's just start off with the obvious. He is a secondary unit. He has a durability of two and a stamina of nine. Right in that average range, it seems. And he costs four squad points. That's right. And of course, as the commander of the 212th, he has the 212th tag. Clone commando tag, which I'm looking forward Exciting. to seeing that in the future, because the clone commandos are coming out with Luminara. Mm-hmm. Clone trooper tag and Galactic Republic tag. Now, very similar to Rex in terms of the stats and the way that they function. Surprised that Rex was not a clone commando, but that's probably for balanced reasons. But like Rex, he's got a tactics ability. A tactics ability, for those of you who are uninitiated, means that a character can use this ability the moment they activate. So it's called, we've got a big problem. At the start of this unit's activation, choose an enemy character within range five that is contesting an active objective. (laughs) The chosen character gains exposed. This is kind of what I just talked about in Lord. This is Cody from a distance, binoculars. He's saying, we're going to mortar that spot. We're not even going in yet. You know, we're just going to mortar that spot, set up the the army to go in. But before that, we're going to lay down some fire from distance. This is super cool, Amon, because range five is a lot. And every time him activating this going out is scary if you're on the receiving end of it. Yeah, I mean, just auto dishing out and exposed is pretty good because it talks about that shelling attitude where it's like he activates, he points out a target that person can no longer use their defensive expertise, which means the rest of the squad, if and when they're firing or attacking into them, that the target that he marked effectively is in for a bad time. Absolutely. So also keeping in with what Amon said about the tactics ability, keep in mind when you shatter point, you're going to trigger that tactics ability as well because they're just going again. So Cody could, you know, give out a lot of exposes through the course of a game, especially if you shatter point with him any given time. Yeah. And, you know, I've talked about this on the podcast a little bit, but I really do encourage people to shatter point with non-primary yep. characters because being able to, we've got a problem twice and then do some of the other things that Cody can do on his card, which we're going to talk about in a second, is very powerful. And it just allows you to gain that objective advantage over time. So let's jump to his first active ability here called Defensive Maneuver. Costs a force. Each character in this unit may dash. If any characters dash, this unit gains hunker. It's a dash and a hunker baked in for one force. You're going to do it. It's good. It's the clone way. There's no reason why you shouldn't do it, especially with the stuff that Obi-Wan's given you. Especially with the things you can set up like struggle one, you know, Amon, in this game, we're learning how just powerful a advance followed by a dash or a dash followed by an advance, some sort of that order of things is just to win points and set up for you know, future scoring turns. Yeah, like if you look at a board objectively and verticality is not a factor, then you can get to that midboard quite easily. You can definitely get to the side points, even if you're deployed in the mid. Definitely. So it's super cool and it's served me well thus far. But continuing with Cody's card, he has an innate ability, say goodnight clanker. Characters in this unit have sharpshooter two. When a character in this unit makes a ranged attack, the target enemy does not benefit from cover. We've seen this on Gar. It's back. It's pretty solid. And I think it's interesting because it's not going to come up a lot. Like very rarely are you going to use a focus action, right? Unless you've got nothing really else to do. If you really just want to take down the target, then yeah. Yeah. Because then at that point, you know, before getting too deep into his stance card, 
You know, he's got a range attack dice pool of six. This will bump him up focus plus sharpshooters three more. He can shoot nine damage and deny you cover, which is pretty exciting. So I guess if you really want to take someone down with Clone Commander Cody, focusing and then firing is pretty decent move. Yeah, because of the sharpshooter too, he's innately like always a threat from range, you know, even more so than Rex, who we already said was a pretty good threat from range. So very cool and fitting with Cody's play style. Rounding off Cody's card here, we've got another innate ability called Bring It Down. When an allied clone trooper supporting character within four that has one or more hunker tokens makes a ranged attack as part of a combat action, it may reroll up to two of its failed results. Pretty juicy. Keep in mind for all supporting clones. Yeah. So this will benefit the 501st. This will benefit the 212th. Because the clone commando unit card has already been revealed by AMG, we know that there are clone troopers as well, and they're going to get those benefits. And look, there's a ton of other clone troopers coming out. We've got some with Windu, some with Plo Kloon. Cody's going to be a pretty nice force in any Galactic Republic list. Yeah, Rex is kind of your man on the ground, getting everybody into the fight. And Cody's your man from range, just making everyone's range guns so much more consistent and scary, which is really cool because this is innate. You don't have to spend force for it, you know, while not wounded, but... This gives you a lot of consistency and makes things like the 501st, which don't really hit that hard, Amon, hit harder. Oh, dude, for sure. Yeah, definitely. You're more likely to complete trees with clones, which is not super common, I'm realizing, unless they have dice buffed up or something. Yeah, I mean, I think the 212th have a better time doing it than the 501st, but that's just because the 212th are, they're a point more, and so they're able to do a little bit more damage. Well, before we get to the 212th, we've got to talk about Cody's form, his singular form, concentrated firepower, and his tree. So going through his attack and defense actual raw dice, so from range, he's throwing six dice, and he has a defense of four. And when he's in melee, he's throwing six dice, and he has a defense of four. So it's pretty straightforward, Amon. Yeah, I think you definitely, defensive maneuver is baked into the balance of Cody, you can tell. You know, he is someone who is going to need to defensive maneuver, at least at the beginning of the game, in order to get those defense dice up to respectable ranges, because four is pretty low. But good thing is, is he's got that phase two clone armor, so defensive expertise isn't too bad. Kind of similar to the Mandalorian armor. It's one to two block, three plus expertise, two blocks. Yeah, it's just the clone way, it seems like. Yeah, and you know, it also helps because if you get that hunker counter, where it's giving you that extra defense when melee or in range... It should, in theory, net you another block, right? Because it's going to either expertise or just give you a flat-out block in most uh, scenarios. No, absolutely. But I'm on. you got to guide us through this expertise track of his DC-15 blast rifle. That's the long rifle is our first instance of it in the game for clones. Yeah, I will say Cody is probably one of my favorite minis, surprisingly to me, just from the rip. He's so cool. Yeah, he's just got a lot of story in that pose, and you can tell that he knows what he's doing. He's calm, collected, but he's focusing on the battle. He slung that weapon to the side with such confidence that you just know that he's deadly with it. And we can see that here on his card. That's right. Now, looking at his DC-15 blaster rifle, one expertise gives him straight damage. Two to three will give him a critical hit and a damage. And four plus is a crit and two My damage. man is lethal with that DC-15 rifle. Yeah, he is lethal. Now, if you ever get him into close combat, he trades his rifle for DC-17 blaster pistols. Now, this isn't as deadly of a weapon, but he's still quite proficient in it. One expertise. One hit, two expertise, a crit, three plus. We combine the two results, get a crit and a hit. Keeping with the theme of most clones, melee is just not ideal for them at all. 
They don't like people on their face fighting the melee. They don't like to hit in melee. It's it's scary for them. Yeah, they're very used to dicking behind cover and shooting from far away. And that's kind of exactly how the 212 play out. This tree I'm on is so cool. It's a good tree, actually. I was very surprised by it when I first put pen to paper, if you will. So we're going to start out with two damage. Strong. You know, at the end of the day, Cody is that commander, but he knows how to use those weapons. Now from here, Cody actually has quite a long tree in terms of the sheer amount of successes you can get. So if we just go straight track on the bottom mm-hmm. tree, no curves, no breaks, we start at two damage, then we have a pin and a damage, then we get a third damage, then we have a strain and a damage, and then two more damage, and then another damage. So what we're looking at here is eight damage on this bottom tree with two conditions. It's a lot of damage for a secondary. I mean, I genuinely really like it because I think it complements his ability suite really well. You know, at the end of the day, Cody is a man of the people. He's a man of the clones. He's going to help his boys out and lead them into battle and make sure they take out key targets, protect each other, etc. But, you know, when he has to start firing the gun himself, he earned that cc position absolutely right? yeah he's more analogous to kalani in the sense of like kalani can put out a lot of damage from range obviously kalani costs five cody costs four but i don't know i just lethality from range seems pretty pretty cool with these characters because they are sporting their troops. yeah range five incredible now if you want to use his other tree this is where things get a little interesting here so let's start from the front or the top two damage second tile a pinned in a damage, but then here you can veer upwards. So if you go and take the upward path, you get a shove in a damage, then you get a shove in two damage, and then you get an active ability. So that means if you haven't used defensive maneuver yet, you're allowed to use defensive maneuver for free. No force penalty required at all. Yeah, so this incentivizes you to maybe shoot first with, with Cody, right? See what you get. Because as Amon said, with clones, you're going to always want a defensive maneuver as much as possible. But why not do one for free? Yeah, 100%. And with that sharpshooter, if you do focus, he's probably just getting it him on. So I think that's, we've kind of nailed on probably why you do want to focus with him is to save some forest, right? And get through this tree. Though you did mention it's only five spots on this top path as opposed to six on the bottom. Yeah, but again, I think it's worth guaranteeing it, right? Because you're absolutely correct. So you spend a whole action to focus. Then you make your shooting attack. But The thing is, is like at this point, you're really just trying to figure out if you can get defensive maneuver or not for free. Yeah. Because even if it doesn't work out, you can still spend the force for defensive maneuver. So he has options, but it's, can we be a little bit more economic in his activation? But again, I just don't know if I ever want to go up that top path because I think if I'm getting a lot of successes, like, look, at the end of the day, if I'm getting up to the point where I can use the active ability, what is the trade-off here? It's two, three, four, five, six damage two shoves, a pin, and an active ability, or it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So one more point of damage, a pin, and a strain. But I guess I'm really answering my question here, Jesse, as I'm going through this tree and talking about it out loud. It really depends on what you're trying to do. Are you trying to just deal as much damage and make your opponent's unit have a tough time with that pin yeah. and that strain, which we both agree are the two most dangerous conditions that you can use? Yeah. Or are you just trying to push, 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 and then get out of dodge? Pushes are also insane in this game, right? Obviously, I think the top part is much more interesting in a, in a Kenobi squad, you know, or a Kenobi list as a whole, because you're getting more hunkers and, and movement out of it, right? Which is what you're already kind of wanting to do with the Obi-Wan playstyle. But uh, yeah, I, I like that he's got options and that he can honestly deal out a lot of damage whatever way you go. Yeah, big fan. Because let's not forget the expertise. Let's not sleep on the expertise, but this 
auto damage on top of whatever you're going to get through on the tree, you could start just removing secondary and support models, potentially, you know, wounding them, right? Because if you get a couple of these auto damages in, Mon, so maybe another crit or two, and then you also have results down the tree that are going to give lots of damage. Cody's doing a lot from range. Yeah, and it actually helps in the mirror match as well, because if you're both in just like a hunker environment and you're just trying to get damage across, then expertise damage just goes through. It's awesome. Well, Cody is uh, hes quite the piece, and I think we're obviously going to see more of his power as the game goes on with that reroll for other clones. But moving on, we got to move on to the 212th Attack Battalion to close this episode out. Uh, they were Clone Trooper Battalion, the Grand Army of the Republic, of course, during the Clone Wars. And they served under the 7th Sky Corps, like I talked about. Of course, led by General Kenobi and Clone Commander Cody. The 212th were basically a special battalion of this group. They're known for being very tactical, really good shooters. And sometimes, because they were under the command of Cody and Kenobi, waiting until the perfect opportune moment to come into the fight and just in the fight you know like i said that had to take some time to get there maybe they're maybe they're barraging from range for a couple weeks all these type of things but the general became really well known across the entire public for successful tactics and just winning multiple battles they won the battle of christophus teth ryloth they played a crucial role in the battle of geonosis the second time helping destroy a lot of the droid factories and beat out the Genosians. They also helped end a lot of battles, right? So like other clone forces were dug in, kind of either in a stalemate or losing a battle. 212th show up, help them win the battle, you know, help other forces win the battle. So it's very cool. And, you know, it is unfortunate that they win the battle of Utapau. You know, Obi-Wan beats Grievous. Cody and his troops come and beat the Separatists. But then that's, of course, when Order 66 is enacted at the Battle of Utapau. And, of course, they fire upon Kenobi, and then they after that they became a well-established, well-oiled machine battalion in the Galactic Empire. Boo! And they did something very sad. I found out in the future, Iman, when the Empire was taken over and the Wookiees started to revolt. The Turin Twelfth went to Kashyyyk and helped subjugate all the Wookiees under the Empire's control and put them into slavery and uh, take over Kashyyyk. You know, which was obviously one of the planets that was really causing the Empire a lot of stress. Uh, when they took over and the 212th helped control the Wookiees, which is very sad. Well, unacceptable, but at the end of the day, those inhibitor chips, they were not aware of their actions. So let's talk about them in this game. Amon, of course, they are a supporting unit with two characters in it. Always worth noting, they have a durability of two and a stamina of seven. So on the kind of on the lower side and they cost you four squad points. Yep. They've got the 212th tag, Clone Trooper, Galactic Republic, and of course, Trooper. When I think evaluating any sort of clone commander and clones, it's really hard not to compare it to the 501st yep. and Rex. But I think particularly with the 501st and the 212, there's a lot of similarities here on their cards. I mean, you know, holistically, they both have defensive maneuver, they both have coordinated fire, and they both have brothers in arms. And so they also both have that seven stamina and the two durability. So you're probably wondering, like, well, why is one unit worth one more point than the other? And I think it really comes down to probably the box balance for obi-wan yep. as a whole they want to have these fully functioning and nicely fit and tight teams but i think it also comes down to their stance card which we'll talk about in a moment but if you're familiar with how the 501st function and you listen to that episode then a lot of the stuff on this card is going to make sense so we have this active ability called defensive maneuver cost of force same exact as cody and as the clone troopers the 501st. So each character's unit may dash. If any character's dash, this unit gains hunger. Super simple. We talked about yep. why that's good. 
Let's move on. We have an innate ability called coordinated fire pin. So the 501st have coordinated fire strain. These guys have pin. So essentially what it means is when a character in another allied galactic public unit makes an attack as part of a combat action before dice are rolled, this unit may use this ability. If the targeted character is within five of a character in this unit, the target unit gains pinned. Jesse, what are your thoughts on I that? think it's super cool, actually. Like if Obi-Wan's up in the fray and he's attacking, right? And he's got his 212th in the back and they're giving them pinned. It's just holding the enemies down, right? With frequency of fire. And on top of that, of course, with the 501st on the field too, this starts stacking with the 501st giving out strain, right? But you've got to set up a lot of things to make it all happen, to be fair. Yeah, like in an ideal world, you you have both clone troop units out there. Their target is both within five each. And then what's happening is once, we talked about some of the last episode, like one straining, one's pinning. Oh, the unit already has strained or pinned? Great. Take a damage. Right. And you and I touched on a little bit on that episode off mic and on mic about how we think there's some validity to maybe s- splitting up your clone supports a little bit on the battlefield to make more coordinated fires happen, trigger more consistently, and also just honestly have their guns range five pointed at more targets, right? To give more of these conditions out. But I think it's very cool. And I think, I still think pinned is like the strongest ability in the game. Just because the game is all about mobility and winning the struggle. And it just prevents you from doing that straight up, especially. Like, let's say Obi-Wan pushes a target off, right? And then these guys give them pinned. Well, it's like Obi-Wan pushed them off, messed with where they're at on the map already to begin with, and then now they've been given pinned. And it's like, okay, now they're just stuck there for a bit. That's fair. And I don't disagree with that at all. I think the the clones, I mean, there's a lot of crazy synergy here, man. And like, just to round out their card before we start talking about them as a whole yep. and their stance card, they've got Brothers in Arms, which again is the same as the 501st when this unit has one or more hunger tokens, they have steadfast. Yep. And we talked about the strength of steadfast, how awesome it is. And it ignore, allows you to ignore that I first push. It's so good. Can win you games. It can. It truly can. Because it's hard to get to some shoves on yep. certain trees. It's even harder to get to two shoves. Some trees don't even have two shoves. Well, before we keep talking about them as a whole, Amon, let's move on to their stance card. It's bullseye training because they these are the long range clones of the Republic. They have a, a range five range attack. Of course, you roll six dice on attack, four dice on range defense, four attack dice on melee, and three defense dice on melee. Melee is not good for them, but it's a thing we're seeing with the clones. And I think, again, they're getting that lower end of the stick here is because the Obi-Wan strategy, right? Like, they're never going to lose that hunker. So they're kind of baking that into it. And I, I get it. It's fair. But as a quick comparison to the 501st, they're at seven dice on range, five on range defense, and then they're on four on melee defense. So they're a point down, but they're already getting these better stats. And so it's really thinking about like, why would I want the 212th outside of like the double clone list, uh, Anakin, Obi-Wan team here? And we're going to get, we're going to get into that, but let's just finish off their expertise. So their melee expertise is called bash. You get one expertise, you get one hit, same as the 501st. But now we start to see the differentiators a little bit. And this is why I think the 212th are worth that point because they can do a lot of damage, Jesse. With that DC-15 blaster rifle, if you get one expertise, you're going to just get that straight damage. Yep. You know, it's very similar to their commander. Yeah, this gun is lethal, right? Because <laughs> on expertise of two to three, you're getting a crit and a straight damage. And then on an expertise of four up, you're getting a crit and two auto damages. And keep in mind, when we say auto damages, these are not hits. These are not going down the, the tree. These are just damage. Just putting straight on your card. Not super common in the game thus far, it seems like, but this box is completely blowing that theory out of the water because Cody and these guys have a lot of auto damage on their 
expertise. Yep. And I think that's why they're a little bit more expensive again is because they have the opportunity and the ability to deal a lot of damage. And they're also simple because their expertise tree as a whole is only four tiles. And so whether bullseye training is a very specialized training or they really know exactly what they're trying to get a hold of here, they're simple guys and they want to do simple things. So while the 501st have a more complicated tree with a little bit more options, for the 212th, we're going to start with a pinned and a damage, then a shove and a damage, then an exposed, and then four damage. So they can do six damage overall, whereas the 501st can only do five, and it takes them a lot longer to get there. And also keep in mind, like I just said with the Cody discussion, you add expertise on top of this, and there's a lot of extra damage that's showing up. So these are some supports that can do some of the most damage in the game thus far, because you know you could get this six damage, and then you could potentially get one or two auto damage from expertise. Yeah, and don't forget, like when one character fires, if they're able to just get that pinned on, and maybe they get the exposed. exposed on, and then the next character fires, then not only is the next the unit that's being attacked not getting their defensive expertise, but if you're able to get to that third or fourth tree again, you're actually dealing another two damage across the whole length of the tree because that character already has those conditions. So going from six damage, in theory, you could do eight damage with one character if you blow through the tree and the character that you're attacking already is pinned and exposed. So I think that's why they're a point more, because I've seen some people like, why are they a point more? It doesn't make sense. And it's straight up because they're more lethal. Yeah. And I think they can uh, quite honestly shred other supports, right? From range, right? And so that's pretty cool thematically, but it's also very cool in the game state where it's like, they obviously don't want to be in the thick of it as much as the 501st. The 501st are really good point sitters, right? Especially for their point cost of only three. But these guys, if you let them like shoot, and let's also keep in mind too, Amon, they could focus and really just guarantee get some consistent stuff off because I don't know, the way I'm looking at it too is like even if your opponent takes away a bunch of your defenses, you're still getting some expertise through and giving just guaranteed damage and crits, right? Yeah. I really have come to respect all the clones over the last couple of games I've played. I was a little down on them, I think, initially at first. Obviously, the cover change is huge, right? And it does impact the way that it functions because Hunker Helps is them. integral to getting cover now but the amount of damage that they can put out is incredible i will reshare that story very quickly where i had you know the 212th fire at two wounded primaries each and they were able to wound both of them that's a lot yeah that's primaries so these guys do a lot of damage from range um despite being kind of glass cannony so i feel like we've covered what these guys do really well amon they shoot from range they give out conditions they put a lot of damage on you and that's kind of what they want to do. They want to stay safe. Let's also talk about the lethality of them with Cody, with the rerolls. Yeah, that's actually something we didn't even take to account just now. But because Clone Commander Cody is giving every bring it down, you can get those two rerolls. So your six dice effectively are acting more like right. seven dice because of consistency. So lots of great synergies. Obviously, they're paying a little bit of a tax because they come with Obi-Wan and Cody. But it's okay because if you utilize it the way the designers want you to play them, you're going to see some pretty good results. Absolutely. So how do we play this box as a whole, Mon, before we close this episode out? How do we play General Kenobi, Commander Cody, and the 212th effectively? Yeah, so I've tried playing Kenobi with another team that wasn't Galactic Republic, and I found that his efficacy kind of falls down a little bit. So my recommendation would be is if you want to play Obi-Wan, if you love Obi-Wan, if you love Cody, play them first and foremost with other Galactic oh, yeah. Republic teams and units. I think you're kind of hampering Obi-Wan's incredible identity, knowledge and defense, 
if you're not doing that. Number two, it's all about getting hunker tokens. That's the biggest yep. thing. And everybody can defensive maneuver, right? So if you run the whole Republic list that's available at time of recording at this stage in the game, and even with Luminara, Barris, and those clone commandos coming out, what you're going to get is you're going to get all these clones who have the ability to defensive maneuver, get the hunker, and then sit on it. And over the course of the game, like what's the first activation you're probably going to take with everybody? Okay, advance, take cover. Gives you another inch of movement, gives you another right. dice on defense. So now all your guys from the jump are like on defense, six, seven dice. Yeah. That's incredible, right? Like Anakin is rolling seven, eight dice on defense. So now you have primary level defensive stats. And yeah, they're a little glass cannony as a whole, but I think there's just so much utility. And then the biggest thing to keep in mind and remember and focus on is Obi-Wan and Cody augment your entire team, right? Keep Cody central. Let all the clone units, including the ones from the 501st or those commandos that may be coming out in the near future, gain those benefits because then they can get two rerolls, right. right? Incredible. And then, of course, we've talked about Obi-Wan. We spent like over an hour gushing over how good he is. And he's able to do that. He's able to, again, through knowledge and defense, make his team more survivable. He has the ability to go wherever he really wants to go. You know, like, yeah, sure, he's not as mobile as maybe some of the other characters we've seen so far. But in the right circumstances, you have the opportunity to jump so yeah. many times where he can just get anywhere he wants. And jumps, I think, are better than free moves, right? Because elevation, verticality. You can win the game with verticality, right? Yeah, like, especially I've been playing with that high ground box I just bought, right? Adds a third level. Obi-Wan yeets himself to that third level. No issue. Perfect. Yeah. And I think we've touched on a lot in this episode where it's like Cody and the two hundred twelfth are great, but they're much better with Obi-Wan, right? Like it's it's just a force multiplier, right? Yeah. So this box was definitely designed to be uh, as a whole, which is very thematic, makes me very happy. It's very rewarding also if you're a competitive player and wanting to do well and 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 play a thematic list and do well with it. I think the place to go, but clearly it was designed around Obi-Wan, his identity. I think you should lean into that. And it's just a cool identity of Obi-Wan and Cody being these super supports like you're talking about them on. But then at the same time, you got these guys just pummeling your opponents from range, you know, with so much damage. And then when Obi-Wan's ready, he can get in the thick of things and do work, right? But you might want to slow roll for a bit till everybody's in position, till everybody's got a bunch of hunkers like you're talking about. And then Obi-Wan can go off on his own and swashbuckle away. Completely agree. I mean, again, like I said, I kind of looked on this box as a whole on the front and was thinking, hmm. You know, Obi-Wan, I know is very good. I can tell very quickly, but you really had to put them in practice to see that synergy and effect. And again, with those changes AMG made to cover and hunker, I really think that this Galactic Republic list, this Obi-Wan and Anakin list with yep. all the clones is fighting for top spot right now in the current Shatterpoint meta. Yeah. And I also think it's a list that rewards you for reps, right? Because there is a lot of moving parts. There is a lot of getting these coordinated fires off. There is a lot of like using Rex and Cody effectively or using snips in the list in the right spot if you want to play her, Padawan Ahsoka, knowing how to use Anakin and Obi-Wan and how they fit their role in this too. But yeah, I mean, on top of that, if you're doing everything right with Obi-Wan and Anakin's identities, all these clones are healing on top of the defense that Obi-Wan's providing, right? So they're getting around their biggest weakness, which is that glass cannon element, which is really nice. For sure. Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's a great box. If you're planning on playing Galactic Republic, I think you can't skip out on this one. Perfectly said. Well, that's another episode in the Bagamon, which is very exciting. We've been through our mole on Obi-Wan episodes now, so we've, we've gone through our, our own personal identities. And obviously, we're going to... I say obviously. It's like... It's more just me trying to manifest Sith Warrior Maul, because I know another Obi-Wan's coming. We, we both know from the You Cannot Run pack. But I do think we'll not only hit on these characters in the future and potential 
box episodes, but also just through organic discussion. I mean, Maul's a core set model and Obi-Wan's day one release. They're going to be in the game for a while. They're going to be in the game for a while. And I know that you said that we're channeling our personal, you know, favorites, etc. But if you were to listen to these two episodes, it would sound like I'm on Team Obi-Wan versus Team Darth Maul. But that's strictly, I'm looking very seriously at you here, Jesse, strictly from a gameplay perspective. That's strictly at Amon the Wargamer. Oh, gosh. But I, you know, I really do want the Darth Maul Sith Warrior or yep. Sith Apprentice. I just don't know if they're ever going to do like pre-Clone War stuff. It kind of makes things complicated in terms of roster building because I was really thinking about it the other day. I was like, man, I would really love if we got Qui-Gon, but like Qui-Gon with clones makes absolute no sense, right? So I wonder how that would function. We would have to see. Yeah. I mean, Qui-Gon certainly is the Ataru master and cares about the people around him. So they would manifest that in the game in some way. Unsure. I do think... That dual fates dual pack is just money. It's just money. Like you would, you print that, you bake it, you're millions of dollars. That's my number one like want in the game is those three characters with that terrain. And what's crazy about the terrain, Mon, is I I kept thinking about this over and over again. I was like, they fight in at least three iconic locations in that. You got the hangar with the ships. You've got Hmm. the platforms, the power platforms in the refinery, and then you've got the laser wall hallway. You could choose any of those three and they would all be iconic for these three characters fighting, right? I think, Jesse, you and everyone else wants this pack to come out. So AMG, if you're listening, help us out here, man. We're just trying to help you make money. also make Padawan Obi-Wan's Padawan braid flying in the wind because... They love to do dynamic things, you know? Yeah, actually, if you look right behind my head, you'll see the Qui-Gon That's right. where my finger is. There's Darth Maul and there's Padawan Obi-Wan <laughs> all fighting each other in the Funko Pop. We're fans here. Uh, it's it's very apparent. But you might be more of an Obi-Wan fan on the tabletop at this moment, but we've already talked about with Dathomirian keywords coming and Maul's selfishness might play in the game different ways in the future, especially if we get Shadow Collective content, which I'm really looking forward to. 100%. But Amon, we got to tell everyone where they can find us and where you can follow the show. Absolutely. So first off, going to give a quick shout out to our patrons here. Hello There is supported by our wonderful patron. You can become a Hello There patron by going to patreon.com slash cast. Now, if you're interested in following us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch at HelloTheirCast. You can also email us at HelloTheirCast at gmail.com. And if you could, please leave us reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts when you can. Y'all have already been doing it, coming out in droves. We sincerely appreciate it. And the more that you can rate us, the more you know audience we can get and grow and continue to make awesome content. Yeah, you guys are obviously listening and you're obviously giving us reviews because they're showing up all the time, which is very encouraging. Not only five-star reviews, but lots of written reviews with feedback and things you like about the show. So that really helps us out. So you can leave us a five-star review. It helps us out a lot. If you can leave us a five-star review with some written words on top of that, even better. We've got a lot more reviews I'm on already than a lot of miniatures gaming podcasts. So I'm already very proud of our listeners and thankful. Of course, we've got to thank Lowfield for our show's wonderful Dual Fates music. And of course, you can find Amon and I different places. You can find me, Jesse, online on Twitter, Instagram, Longshanks, and Discord all at the same place, at Jesse Aiken, that's J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N, and check out my show, Fury's Finest, a Marvel Christ Protocol podcast about everything Marvel Christ Protocol and the Marvel Universe. Mon, where can everyone find you? Well, as you mentioned earlier in the episode today, Jesse, you can find me on Twitter at Amon the Wargamer. Amon is spelled A-M-A-N. And honestly, I'm pretty much the only Amon in the hobby, at least from what I've seen. So you can find me anywhere on Facebook, Longshanks, or on Discord and I will pop up. I also am the host on Path to Glory, the Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. I've been doing that for, gosh, five years now. 
Excellent. Well, we hope you guys have enjoyed another primary box episodes. These episodes are always a beast, man. They're always huge. Yes, but we enjoy them and we hope you enjoy listening to them. Yeah, and our goal with these always is to leave an evergreen resource in the community. You know, it is a fixed moment in time where the game is, so we only have the amount of information we have right now. But the way we approach these episodes is always to be completely evergreen within this box. So maybe this helps you understand if you want this box or not, or even if you don't want it for yourself, it definitely should help you understand how to play against this box in the future, because we will be seeing Obi-Wan out in the wild. We'll be seeing him everywhere. That's right. But until next time, may the Force be with you. civilized.